Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by Canyon Bikes and Misspent Summers. Misspent Summers is a group of incredibly talented people who love riding bikes and they have a passion for great photography and amazing stories. There's even some ex-dirt staff in there, so you know it's going to be good. They've just released their 2020 mountain bike yearbook, Meltdown. This thing is a work of art packing 240 pages with incredible photos and writing that serves as a memory of some of the good times that 2020 managed to provide. It's a great read, a beautiful addition to any coffee table, and given how unique 2020 was, it really is a piece of history. I'm stoked to say that they even asked me to write a little article for it, which is a massive honour, so that's in there too for you to read. You can get your own copy by heading to misspentsummers.com forward slash meltdown. And as a downtime listener, you can get yourself a lovely free misspent summers wall calendar with your copy of Meltdown until the end of March. All you need to do is use the code MeltdownTime at the checkout. That's MeltdownTime, all one word, all lowercase. So head to misspentsummers.com forward slash meltdown now. We're also going to be doing a bit of a giveaway over on my Instagram. So make sure that you give me a follow there and keep your eyes peeled. You can find me at Downtime Podcast. As you probably know, Canyon have recently updated their range of e-bikes and they all now have the Shimano EP8 motor giving you 85 new meters of torque to play with. They've also added a brand new model, the Torque On. It's got 180mm travel, 27.5 inch wheels and a 63.5 degree head angle with a long reach and short chainstays to make it playful and lively. If that's a bit too much travel for you, then there's also the Spectralon, which is their 150mm bike. It's designed as more of an all-rounder and it will help you cover way more ground on your regular trail rides and it's used and loved by top riders like Tiny Seagrave. Canyon also has a 130mm Neuron on and a hardtail Grand Canyon on, so whatever your e-bike needs, Canyon have something for you. The bikes are in stock pretty much everywhere, but if you are in a country that doesn't have stock immediately, then there will be an option on the website to sign up for a notification as soon as that country's stock arrives. So head to canyon.com now to check them out. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so as you're the first to know when a new episode drops. If you're listening on Spotify, then give the podcast a follow there. Either way, it's free and it's super easy to do. And there's buttons for all the major platforms over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe. Or there is probably a subscribe button or a follow button in whatever app you're using to listen to this right now. So head over there and get it done. For the hardcore downtime fans amongst you, there's some lovely organic t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies available to show your support over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. They're great quality, available worldwide, and they ship without any single-use plastics too. All the proceeds go to helping improve the podcast, so massive thank you to everyone who's brought something so far. All right, this week on the show, I'm joined by Charlie Murray. Charlie is a super talented up-and-comer from New Zealand who's definitely made his mark on the Enduro World Series and World Cup downhill circuit last season. He even dabbled in the e-bike world champs, which despite running out of battery mid-race has paid off pretty well for him, as you'll find out in this episode. Charlie provides some great insight into what it takes to get inside the top 10 of the EWS while still holding down a day job. We talk about training, mindset, the importance of looking after yourself and much, much more. Charlie has some great stories to tell, so without further ado, here's Charlie Murray. Charlie Murray, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, things are good. I'm just here in New Zealand in summer and yeah, and really enjoying it actually. It's we're pretty lucky not to have any COVID here. So that's the main positive at the moment. Yeah, man, honestly, you're uh it was strange watching the coverage of uh Magaza Fest in Queenstown seeing everyone like trackside and crowds and yeah. just feels so alien for us over in Europe at the moment. Yeah, that was, that was an awesome weekend. And 
we you kind of don't really realize you just get used to it and then suddenly you kind of take a step back and you're like wow like we are so lucky just to be able to hang out and have festivals and mountain bike events and hang out with friends and it's we're it's really good over here at the moment so I'm not in any rush to to leave <laughs> yeah you're a wise man well let's <laughs> um let's wind the clock back a little bit and find out a bit about kind of where you come from but well yeah first off geographically where did you grow up um i grew up in canterbury or christchurch new zealand so that's the south okay. island um and yeah we kind of we grew up in the city and then we had a little little batch or like a holiday house kind of cabin out in um in the country uh near the near the southern alps which is the main mountain range here in the south island so we'd kind of go up there every weekend and um build little pump tracks or jumps and then in the winter we'd be up at the ski fields which are close to there um nice up skiing and we just kind of fell in love with with the outdoors through through that uh, little cabin really lovely i hear your parents are like multi-sport royalty over there <laughs> yeah there's a there's a bit of that um yeah both my parents used to do lots of adventure racing i don't know if you if you've heard of adventure racing but Yes, yeah, so explain that for people that don't know much about it. Yeah, well, basically, it's like um, kind of multi-sport, um, like like an Ironman, but not with with swimming. And okay. you, you have running and mountain biking, kayaking. Sometimes you have whitewater rafting or abseiling, or um, they used to even have inline roller skating, which was <laughs> quite entertaining. Whoa. But and it's all kind of off-road and more of like an expedition adventure sort of thing. And some of these adventure races would. Um, they could take like six or seven days to finish and you don't stop to sleep either. You just go the whole time. Um, so it's pretty crazy. And then there's uh there's one, there's a one day one here in New Zealand called the coast to coast, which is quite, um quite a big deal for the Kiwis and both mum and dad hold the, hold the record currently for, for that race. So there's yeah, so is that east pressure. to west or west to east across the South Island or something? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, starts on the West coast and, finishes in Christchurch on the east and that's um, oh wow not exactly sure how many k's it is but it takes yeah about 11 or 12 hours and that's um road biking uh, mountain running uh whitewater kayaking and then more road biking at the end so full on so that's like yeah. over because there's a big old mountain range like arthur's pass and stuff in the middle is that exactly. right exactly yeah it goes through arthur's pass yeah so it's a, a, yeah. a mountain pass an alpine pass that you run across basically <laughs> Full on, impressive. Yeah. They're uh, they're pretty fit then. Yeah, yeah. No, they they don't hang around. When even now, like oh, Dad's getting a bit older, but if I go out with him, he, he doesn't go easy on me. So it's um, <laughs> yeah, he's it's pretty pretty cool to have, have those sort of active parents. And yeah, my whole well, us three kids are pretty lucky to grow up with that because it's definitely shaped us into into our sports and given us a bit of a background in, um, in the outdoors. Yeah. What age did they start kind of getting you into outdoor sports then? Was it pretty early? Yeah, I'm not really sure. Like there's like photos of us like um, climbing mountains and like in backpacks on the back of their back and stuff. And um, dad for training used to, he used to put me in the, um, in the bike seat on the back of the seat, on the back of the bike, sorry, like a little <laughs> bike seat on like a, an old mountain bike. And then he would ride up the hill near our house as fast as he could. And the other day I met someone um, at work or something and they said, oh, the last time I saw you, um, I was road biking up 
up uh, Dyer's Pass and you, you overtook me on the back of a mountain bike uh, with your dad pedaling. <laughs> Amazing. So were you, were you, are you like, I guess, sort of naturally fit then as a kid just from all the activity that you're doing with your family? Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we've never, never really struggled to, to kind of keep up as such. Um, yeah. So, yeah, pretty lucky in that regard. Fitness is something that comes relatively easy. Yeah, um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, what out of all the activities that your parents were kind of getting you involved in, what stood out for you when you were younger? Um. Oh well, probably skiing really, um, and biking was awesome when we were like groms because we just had little kind of BMXs and we would just do jumps and build tracks and everything that you know groms usually do. Um, and then we got you kind of more and more into skiing, and that kind of took over my life for a few years. Um, it's just skiing because we got some really good mountains here in New Zealand. So yeah, that was the, probably the main thing. Yeah. You got into the kind of freestyle side of things. Is that or the, like free skiing side? Is that the right way to describe it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's free ride is the, is kind of what, what I've, what I've ended up in really. Um, I don't uh-huh. do that, that much anymore, but free rides like, it's kind of like the Red Bull rampage of, of skiing. So you, get a big face and you can have a start point and a finish point and you can choose your line anywhere down the face. Um, and it's all off pace kind of, yeah, off like rock drops and cliffs and shoots and stuff like that. And what are they marking you on? Like technical difficulty of the line or tricks or like, or is it kind of like rampage, like the whole thing combined? Yeah. So it's an overall impression, uh, basically out of a hundred points, but there's five categories that they take into account. So they consider like your, um, your line and fluidly. So that's like, obviously how technical your line is. And if you're stopping or starting, or if you just, um, if you just keep holding speed the whole way through, then you get a lot more points. And then they have like speed and style. So that's like kind of how aggressive you're skiing. And if you're doing tricks and big airs, and if you're looking composed, um, and not, you know, flapping your arms around and stuff. And then what else is there? There's a few more other categories as well. Um, but you basically start with a hundred and as you go down, you, it's kind of like a, a speed up speedometer. Um, you either go down or up if you do something that's, um, say you do a feature and you do it really well, you'll go up a bit. And if okay. you do it and like, even if you do a massive trick, but you put a hand down and touch the snow when you're landing, you might kind of just stay at the same point. So you didn't really gain anything, but you didn't really lose anything. Uh-huh. Madness. So like what, was that the sport that you kind of saw yourself wanting to progress in, like to become, I don't know, for that to be your career? Was that where you were heading at some point? Um, I never really thought about it, to be honest. Like we just always did it with, with a crew of us um, when we were kids and we just loved it heaps. So we just always go up and try and get better and push each other to do more and more tricks and stuff. And then um, after a while, I kind of got sick of the competitions because I just didn't really like the whole judging side of it. Like sometimes you'd have a, a good run and you, you wouldn't get scored very well. And that's um, a bit hard to swallow. Whereas at least with, with mountain biking, the clock doesn't lie. So yeah, true. That's um, yeah. So I, I kind of moved away from the competing and the skiing and um, did some more filming stuff for a couple of years. And then um, now I don't really ski much because I'm so busy riding, but my brother's continued with it and he's uh, he's actually a pro on the, on the freeride world tour. So he still does the comps and goes around and competes in those 
um, in in the winter in Europe. Nice. That's Craig, right? Yeah, yeah, Craig or yeah. Weezy Davis, as we like to call him. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you were kind of we follow in the winter around the globe a bit, like spending winters in Europe and then over to New Zealand, like doing the back to back stuff with skiing. Yeah, pretty much. Like um, I think we probably did like kind of maybe eight or something back-to-back winters uh like the, at the end of high school and the start of university sort of thing nice that must have been pretty exciting then quite young sort of spending a lot of time in europe away from home yeah no it was awesome eh? we um yeah i can't remember exactly how old we were i think we were like 16 and 18 or something when we first went over um and we were just living living with some some kind of family friend that someone knew and um in chamonix in france nice it was it was incredible we were just kind of living um off the smell of an oily rag and um, i remember (laughs) one time in particular we we went to the i can't remember what the supermarket's called the co-op or the supermarket or something and um (laughs) they had a big dumpster out the front that was kind of overflowing with food so we had a look and they were throwing out all these perfectly good like um breads and crackers and stuff that were just expired by a few days so we, so we just loaded up with the out of the dumpster. Didn't even go into the supermarket and just walked home and had food for like half a week. <laughs> nice, living the dream. Yeah, that was all. That was like we thought that was the best thing ever back then. <laughs> Chamonix is good for that. There's a lot of people living on very little income over there, like skiing and climbing and riding in the summer, like making it work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you do a few ski bums around. We were probably the, yeah definitely some of them <laughs> excellent and you i mean you did that for a while obviously but at some point because your your day job at the minute is as a structural engineer so you've clearly done a fair amount of studying i guess for that like where does that fit into everything yeah so it kind of like was um well what i basically i used to race xc um back when i was like just starting high school so kind of like 13 14 15 i was racing cross country um and also skiing and then the cross country we got a bit bored of it because i don't know we were never allowed full suspension bikes or anything because dad's a doctor and he reckons it was a bit dangerous i think he thought that they were motorbikes (laughs) rather than (laughs) downhill bikes so we had to do xc um which we enjoyed and we were pretty good at at it my brother and i but then just all the training i just got so sick of it and it kind of took the fun out of it so then we both stopped stopped riding bikes really and we just um just skied kind of from say 16 through till i was probably 20 or 21 um but yeah before i found found full suspension bikes so did that and that was kind of while i was at uni so i finished high school when i was 17 did four years at uh at uni here in new zealand which was an experience in itself and got a got a structural engineering degree and then um kind of went straight into work for the last three years and that was when i when i finished uni is when i got a mountain bike basically Uh you'd spent some of your studies in the u.s though yeah 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 that's right so i um was lucky enough to do like an exchange program so they basically send you send you away to a place that you can that you choose and you can do a semester there or i think i was over in the states for kind of six to eight months um which was, yeah, that was pretty awesome. I was living in a place called Bozeman, Montana, which is kind of way up in the north, and they have really good skiing there, which is why I picked it. And um, But it's funny because the, 
the American uni is like you see it in the movies and you see all like the fraternities and sororities and all that stuff and you think that's yeah, yeah. you think that's just you know movies but then I was like shocked when I got there and it was exactly like the movies like I think they all had the Greek letters all the Greek life stuff and it was like Sigma Chi and all these different fraternities and I, I was like stoked I was like oh let's go around to some of these fraternity parties and you know see if they're if they live up to what we expect and um pretty quickly I realized that it was like not quite what I thought it would be and not quite what New Zealand parties are and um they're just a bit like full of themselves the the fraternity boys so uh-huh. we got we had a few yeah we had a few run-ins and if, if, it, if it let you into the party which was the first thing they're so exclusive like you they finally let us into one and we went in and they were just like all these um fraternity brothers had like invited these like fresher girls in and they just had like heaps of girls and they'd only let like a few guys in so it was like kind of a bit weird like that like yeah they were just trying to take advantage of it a bit i think and then so we were just kind of running a bit of a muck and playing around having some fun and um they yeah didn't didn't really like us we didn't really like them and (laughs) things got a bit heated and um we yeah we kind of got got tossed around a bit and stuff. And then we went upstairs, my mate and I, and um, he's an Australian guy and he's, yeah, as you know, Australians are a bit, can be a bit loose. So he, <laughs> we were just walking out there and he just reached, like tapped me on the shoulder and just handed me something. And it was dark and I was just like, oh, it was just a big fire extinguisher. And then <laughs> we went and we were up on the top level and there was this like, it's called like the big or like the president. It's the guy who like runs the whole fraternity. And he had this sick bedroom that was like full with LEDs and like this big DJ setup and everything. It was super fancy. So we just walked in there and I just opened up this fire extinguisher and just doused (laughs) the whole room. And then like straight away the fire alarms went off. So we like sprinted out and um, we went down one of the staircases. These two big staircases. And we went down one at the same time that all the fraternity guys were coming up the other one and we just missed them. So it was perfect oh. and we managed to get away and um, then, but then for like the next, the next like month at uni, I was like walking around with a hood up cause I was so nervous that they recognized <laughs> me and beat me up. But you got away with it. Yeah. Yeah. We got away with it. It was, it was pretty funny. <laughs> Good effort. It was, was it hard to like get a balance between studying and like the sports side of things? Was it like, was there ever a, like one side of things you felt you needed to compromise on a bit? Yeah, like I definitely didn't do any sports seriously when I, while I was at uni. Um, I think, I mean, I, yeah, when I talk to Eddie, it's kind of the same um, The same for him. Like you just get so caught up in the uni scene and like we would just go skateboarding or we'd go skiing on the weekends and go surfing and stuff, but we were never like committing to one sport. We would just do whatever we wanted, kind of when we wanted. Um, yeah. And like I said, yeah, we did undo, none of my flatmates rode bikes or anything. So we just didn't bike. We just, yeah, we just do other stuff like skateboarding. So at that point then, was there never really like a seed in your, in your mind of becoming like a pro athlete in any discipline? It was always like you enjoyed sport of something you did like as a hobby, I guess. And that the structural engineering thing was your career. Is that kind of how you felt at that point? Yeah, like pretty much. Like I never never really even thought about being a pro in anything um skiing or or anything else really i just 
just love doing it and it'd be cool if we'd you know get free gear and get trips paid for and stuff which we we would with the skiing but never would make any money out of it um and that i was happy with that i thought that was awesome and yeah i know never really thought about it really that's why i just went straight into went straight into my engineering pretty much as soon as i left left uni and what sort of structural engineering stuff were you doing so i've been working mostly in residential um so designing houses like if people have you know massive windows or if they want to put their house on a on like a really steep site or something we have to do a retaining wall or a lintel above the window or a beam if they want to have a big open kind of room or something um so i do a lot of that and then also some kind of geotechnical work and um some commercial warehouses and stuff but it's all pretty boring so i won't go into details <laughs> oh that's fair enough but you're the you're the sort of person that's doing all the maths to make sure things don't fall down right exactly yeah so it's just anything that's kind yeah. of not moving as as the, yeah. the civil side of it that i was that's the field i was in yeah 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 so you've you started working i guess you you know you're starting to earn a bit of reasonable money is that when a full suspension mountain bike finds its way back into your life or into your life for the first time well funny that actually so it was pretty much like the week i finished uni i had my last exams and my girlfriend at the time was living in dunedin well still my girlfriend she's living in dunedin and she um just she's always been into biking and she used to race cross country world cups and all that carry on. She was like, Oh, you should really, you know, you should really get a bike and come down and do these enduro race things. And I was like, Oh, what's that? I thought it was like an endurance thing where you go for like, you know, 10 hours or something. Um, I didn't realize it was like a kind of downhill, more of a downhill race. Um, and I was like, all right, sweet. So then my brother and I had been writing heaps of proposals for like ski trips and stuff. So we're like, Oh, why don't we just, change it and just ride it for, for biking and um send it to everyone we know and see if we can get a couple bikes so we just like did exactly that we sent it to everyone we could think of in new zealand and um just asked to loan two bikes for a year and then this bike shop called fleet cycles in christchurch just came back and said yeah sure we'll um we'll lend you two scott geniuses um like just entry level model like fox performance or whatever and um we oh, we just thought it was the best well it was the best thing ever you know and then yeah um that was kind of where it started that's where we that's where i found enduro really awesome was it was it kind of love at first descent like did you did you enjoy that gravity based side of things straight away yeah absolutely like the bikes now like because we were just used to riding like cross-country bikes with like 80 mil or 100 mil with a seat up and like geometry from 10 years ago um so it was it was amazing it's just like like skiing on dirt almost yeah was it long before you entered a race then uh a couple of months probably like yeah yeah it would have been probably two months um when i entered my first race yeah what where was that and how did you get on uh that was in dunedin and um it's called three peaks and it was i don't know if, i'm trying to think what riders were there but I don't know if you know like Jubal Davis, the American guy on on Yeti. And, uh-huh. Yeah, um, I know the name. Yeah, and Joe Nation as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they were racing, and they I were like asked the organizer if I could start like out the front with like in the first wave, and they kind of like laughed at me, and they're like, "Oh no, nah, like I'm not sure, like um, <laughs> whatever." And my girlfriend, she was helping organize it, and she said to them, "Oh yeah, actually, you should let him in. He's, he, I'm sure he'll he'll be fine." And then 
I was doing like um, kind of top five stage times throughout the day and then just on this kind of like XC-ish bike <laughs> and all these kind of pro Yeti riders or whatever were on full factory bikes and they, at the end of the day, the organizers came up to me and was just like, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> What's going on here? And my brother was the same. Like he, he was racing that same race and um, he was doing similar times. Um, so that was definitely, yeah, a bit of a surprise to me. Like I was like, man, I'm actually not bad at this. Like it seemed a bit too easy. I didn't know. Like, yeah, I, might, I think it might just be like the skiing and just having a background in riding. Like when we were Groms also helped. Yeah. I guess a bit of a lack of fear of being in the hills as well. Like you, you know, you must know the mountains so well from all the time as a kid and through skiing, you, you're not intimidated by stuff, I suppose. Yeah, I think so. I and mean, like with skiing, you're going, you're often going like way faster and going bigger. Like, um, you know, sometimes you end up doing like, you know, a hundred foot jumps or whatever, but you, it's a bit softer, but I think I didn't, we didn't really realize that when we first started, we thought it was just, as <laughs> we didn't think that what happened if you crashed, we just thought, oh, this is fun. Let's just go as fast as we do on our skis basically. <laughs> and was it long before you had a big, uh, a big accident? Um, well, yeah, we've had, had our fair share, but we've been pretty lucky really. Like was, I probably got away with it for a couple of years before I kind of broke myself. So that was good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So at what point did you start to kind of feel like you wanted to put more focus on the mountain bike side of things? Was it still running alongside skiing for a bit? Yeah, it was for a bit. Yeah. Um, and almost till recently until the last couple of years really, but, uh, so I'm trying to think when that first race was. I think that was 2018, maybe. Um, yeah, that would have been the start of 2018. And then, what happened after that? Um, yeah, so I still would have skied quite a lot through that year, but I didn't go overseas for skiing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just, like, I remember just going to work and just thinking about, like, just riding and just – wanting to get faster and wanting to go and try new trails that I hadn't done. And, um, every time I was at work, I was just constantly thinking about riding and I was like, just finding work really boring and riding was like so easy to, to do. Cause it's always like, we have good tracks near where I used to work in Christchurch. So it was so easy to go after work and, you know, do a few laps or, um, go out in the morning and do a pedal and stuff. So I would just ride all the time and just like, that was what I lived for. That was the only thing keeping me going. Really, I was just getting so sick of work and just battling through the day just so I could go ride my bike. Nice. That sounds familiar. <laughs> so was yeah. that, was <laughs> Enduro World Series like a natural goal for you? Did you know it existed? How did you, how did you set your sights on that? Yeah. Yeah. It's quite funny. So, um, yeah. So basically I did that first race, that three peaks in Dunedin and, one of the organizers was also running a race called the trans Z, which is like a, a Yeti, a Yeti sponsored race that goes right around, well, around the South Island doing like a five day enduro. Yeah. And, um, my girlfriend was working for Yeti. So she got us an entry and it was like, kind of like a bit of a date. We went and did this five day race. Um, and I like did really well. And, um, the organizer, he had just broke his shoulder and he was supposed, 
He's called Tom Bradshaw. He's one of the pink bike presenters at the moment. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he broke his shoulder and he um was like supposed to, he had a slot to race in like Chile and Colombia when it was last on. I think that was the start of like maybe April 2018 or something. Yeah. And he couldn't go right. and he's like, oh, like you're, um, you know, you've been riding so well. How would you feel about taking my spot? And this is kind of back before the UCI was involved and um, Natalie from the Enduro World Series is like super – She's awesome and super happy to help out. And Tom just vouched for me and um, sent her an email, just said, like, trust me, this guy's good enough. And then, like, said some of my results. And next thing I know, I was on a plane to South America and taking time off work to, to go and do that. So that's fair play. Just kind of fell into it, really. I didn't, I'd heard of it, but I wasn't planning it. No, it just happened. <laughs> In at the deep end, then. So, yeah, that was, that's the kind of the huge high altitude chilly round isn't it i think so yeah how was it then being at the start of something like that because i'm guessing um, you know whatever competition you've done in new zealand that's a very different event to be at yeah yeah it's like black and white the difference is huge um oh yeah i remember rocking up and i didn't even really think about the race i was just so excited to be on holiday and um being in south america i'd never been there before and everything was foreign and exciting and cool and we were staying up at uh, La Pava, which is right up the top. Yeah, right up at high altitude above Santiago. And, yeah, the course was brutal. It was just like rocky and loose, loose kind of dry, dusty, uh, like scree slope, like shingle and stuff. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, I was just <laughs> – the whole practice, I wasn't even thinking about where the track was going. I was just having so much fun. I was just <laughs> – like sessioning jumps and just like smiling and just doing drifts and just having the time of my life. And I'm trying to keep that going even now with my races. Cause it's just, that's what it's all about really. Yeah. Enjoying yourself. And you went from there on to Manizales, didn't you? I think, which was uh, like the next, almost the next weekend that year or maybe two weeks later. And that was the one that was super wet, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that was crazy. That was, um, it just absolutely pissed down for like a couple of days before and you could barely ride. Like I was just, yeah, I was just happy to get through. I was, but I was pretty um like hungry to do, to do well. Cause I was like the, the week before in, in Chile, I, on the way to stage one, I like had a rock and it cut my brake hose, um, oh, man. my rear brake. And I didn't know. So I like dropped into the first stage and went to hit the first corner and grabbed the brakes and there was just nothing there. <laughs> so I blew off the berm and smashed like down right beside Sven and Sven was just like <laughs> cracking up. He's like, who is this like Kiwi guy? And like, um, I was wearing like skiing knee pads and like borrowed a full face from Rupert and, um, on like an XC bike with 34 mil stanchions or whatever. And then I only had one break and Sven was just like, mate, pull off. You're done. And I was like, no, no, it's all good. I'll keep going. So I just, kept going for the rest of the day with just the front brake. But like at some stages I was actually close to tears because it was pretty hard and it was so steep there. Like I remember just coming to corners and just trying to slow down, just not being able to slow down, just having to bend the bike, just like complete washing out with the front wheel because the front brake would just just take the whole wheel. <laughs> so then I came oh, into Menazales and I was like, yeah. I And then when I got my brake fixed, I actually did some good stages. Like I think like in the 30s or 40s or something. So I came to Manizales, I was like, man, I can actually, I can smash this. Like, you know, I'd be stoked if I could finish with a top 50. 
Um, so I was just like, it was so muddy. You couldn't even really ride it. So I was just like running everywhere and like, um, just doing any, like pulling off trees on like on little pinch climbs that you couldn't, you couldn't ride up and stuff like that. Just trying to get every second I could. And like so many people were giving up. They were like, this is stupid. And they were like throwing their bikes and losing, losing it. And I was just like having fun and just trying my best to like, it was almost like multi-sport, like a bit of a duathlon sort of, sort of race, but yeah. I finished in 48th. So I managed to get my um, goal of top 50 accomplished. Good effort. Yeah. And you did a couple more rounds that year in Europe, didn't you? I think the Spanish round and finale at the end of the season with a couple of like mid 70 places, which again, like pretty good first year, but what, what did you learn from that first year of EWS and what sort of stuff did you feel you needed to do to work your way up the ranks? Yeah. So yeah, then yeah, I came back home after that, after South America and like did pretty well and just had so much fun. Um, that the same, the guy who'd broken his shoulder and given me a spot, he rang me up and said, Oh, we should go and do these two in, in Europe. Cause I haven't got to race yet. And I really want to. And I was like, yeah, awesome. I'm in like, um, had just enough money in the bank account to get some flights and it was better than work. So I was like, yeah, for sure we're going. And we went over there and a mate, um, Sam Shaw, he had a van over there. So we just jumped in with him and pretty much went around Europe for about 20, 20 euro a week or something. Um, and did those two races, but I didn't have the best races, like living out of a van. Um, I had a couple of mechanicals and then we all got food poisoning cause we, they had the sausage party at, um, and it's, I think it's called Einza, Spain. And oh, yeah, they yeah. have this massive castle and it, before the race, I think like the night before the race, they have this massive sausage party and they get like, I think it was a kilometer of sausage. It was like on this big barbecue thing that they put out in the courtyard and it just wound back and forth across the whole courtyard, this massive sausage. And they like cut it up and they would just give you like half a meter of sausage each. So we like just got heaps of it. We were just like taking more and more and more. And then we put it all in the van and like just put it like in the front of the van or something. And then we were eating that for like the race week, just the sausage. But it's some like, it was so hot there. It was like 40 degrees some days. So the sausage were just getting cooked. And then we obviously got sick because we were eating this, <laughs> this sausage that was sitting in the sun, like while we were out riding. Uh, so then we've, we're really suffering for a bit of that trip, but um, kind of managed to pull it together a little bit for finale. But then, Finale was also not a good race because my mate, Sam, he had this theory. He's like, oh, um, when I'm camping back home, I do this thing where I tr uh, transition to ground. So he's like, yeah, I just slowly like get rid of my um, mattress until I'm on the ground. And then the whole bed is my, the whole world is my bed. Like you can sleep anywhere. Right. There's no like, there's no edge of the, of the bed. You can, the whole tent <laughs> is then your bed. <laughs> so okay. I was like, man, this is such a good idea. So like coming into the race, I like started with like a little like firm rest, like a little inflatable thing. Yeah. And then like the next night I just had like a little bit of foam that was a bit thinner. And then like the next night I just had like some cardboard and then it came up to the night before the race and I was just on the ground and I was like, Oh, I've done it. I've transitioned the ground. Like I've been sleeping, I've been sleeping well, like, um, and all this stuff. And then I just had such a bad race and I was just so tired and like really <laughs> struggling to, to race. And then, and then we finished the race and had like um, a little bit after party and stuff. And then went back to the tent and I was like, oh, I'll just try the 
the thermistor again and I just slept like a baby for the whole night. <laughs> <laughs> and I just couldn't believe that I'd been that I'd actually tried this stupid idea. <laughs> so I really really didn't help myself for those first two races. And that was where what I learned really was that just you gotta look after yourself. You've got to eat good food okay. and you've got to sleep well and make sure your bike actually works. Yeah, for sure. It's not uh yeah, it's not an easy weekend, is it, or an easy week with EWS. There's so much activity over a period of days with practice and race and everything that's the recovery element of it must be really important yeah definitely i mean i'm still learning that now like we're not the best at recovery like with the pivot crew we'd like to have a few beers and um yeah i don't think that helps like i think if you just but then you've got to have some fun as well so i'm not really sure what the recipe is but we're definitely more more uh, regimented than we used to be no more transitioning to ground <laughs> No, nah, no more transition to ground. That's <laughs> I don't recommend that to anyone. That's a terrible idea. You get the, get the biggest, <laughs> thickest mattress you can and you'll be sweet. Definitely. So 2019, you took on a few more uh, EWS rounds. Like how how were you funding that? Was still was that still self-funded at that point? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, so I just pretty much worked the whole year and then just take holidays and spend all my money on biking, going over and racing because, yeah, it was just fun and I just got pretty hooked on it and just wanted to do more and get faster and it was better than work as well. So, and then in 2019, 2019, yeah, 2019, I had some help from uh, a friend here in New Zealand, uh, Brendan Clark. He like started a bit of a, um, like development team for, for Kiwis. Okay. So that was actually awesome. He like, we still like flew over there and then once we got there, he just picked us up and he was racing too in the masters. Um, and he just loves bikes, anything about bikes. And he just loves helping out Kiwis as well. So he'd drive us around uh, in a van and then we'd have accommodation at the races. So that was huge. That was like going from the van the year before to actually having a place to sleep and um, a way to, yeah, a more comfortable place for the for the race week. That was huge. Yeah, for sure. And it shows in the results, right? You definitely uh, moved a good chunk up the up the rankings that season. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was, yeah, I was definitely starting to just feel better and better. And I think I was on a, I was on a Yeti that year. Um, so I came from the Scott Genius with 34 mil to the Yeti with a 36 mil. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I remember telling, telling Sven and Joe, cause they would always tease me about having 34 mil stanchions. So I told <laughs> them that I'd got the 36 mil and I'd finally made it. So, um, <laughs> I think, but no, the bike was good. And, um, I had done, you know, two times as much riding as I'd done before at that coming into that season. So I was like, yeah, it was, it was just, everything was just easier basically. Yeah. And it peaked with a 26th place, I think in North Star, like the last round for you of that, of that season, you must be starting to feel pretty happy with that. I mean, it's a, it's a hell of a competitive field now in Jury World Series. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, Oh, I was so stoked with that. I was, yeah, we had Whistler and then we, yeah, everyone kind of comes out of Whistler a bit sick and a bit tired, I think, but I'd managed to avoid most of that. So I was feeling pretty good coming to North Star and then we went down there and it was just like super dry and rugged and rocky and like the rock gardens were pretty insane. Um, and so I just pretty much put in like Kushka in the front, Kushka in the rear and then just, I just rode into everything just like 
rode to the rock gardens, wouldn't really pick a line. I would just kind of hold on and just go for it. And that was kind of what you had to do because everything, the rocks were kind of moving and um, the rock gardens were so long, you never stay on the same line the whole way through. So if you're trying to do that, you just end up making mistakes or going slow or whatever. So I just kind of, yeah, had a few good stages and I can't remember what I was in, what are the queen stages? I was somewhere in the top 10. So I was like pretty stoked with that. And yeah, then definitely. Um, on the last stage, I like I knew that I was doing really well. So I came to the last stage and I just was like riding so safe and lost quite a bit of time on that. So I was kind of, that was another learning experience as well. Like, I don't know if you shouldn't look at the times or not, because it's kind of hard to avoid, but at least just keep the intensity high the whole way through. Yeah, there's no no re, no room to back off these days, is there, at EWS, I don't think? No, nah, not anymore. Well, I don't know if there ever was, but like now there's so many riders in the top, you know, the top 20 is all in the same, you know, a couple of seconds, or it can be. Not a couple of seconds, but like it's pretty easy to, to drop back. Just a few seconds could see you five places back if you're unlucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you came out of that season with solid, yeah, super solid performance, I guess, but still room to move further up and you started off 2020 pretty well it was early on in the season it was the, the uh, trans nz enduro again and you you did a clean sweep i think you won every day didn't you yeah yeah I, I won every stage i was um i was so stoked with that there was i was just feeling really good on the bike and um just everything was just clicking at that point like i think i was just going to get more confident in myself and like figuring out the racing those sort of races are so good for that because you racing every day doing like five or six stages um you just get a feel for like when you're in a good mindset at the top of the stage and yeah what that looks like and i just yeah was feeling good and had a good race there i think i managed managed to put like a minute into the field each day so i was wow. <laughs> had a pretty ha- healthy lead at the end which was a good confidence booster going into that season yeah, yeah. When you talk about the mindset thing, is that something that you feel like you have some level of control over now? Like, have you learned what it takes for you to get into that space? Yeah, definitely. Like, um, just trying to be kind of positive and not not overstressed. Like, it's easy to get really nervous. Like, especially well now because I've been doing more downhill. I've been like having to relearn that because it's a different mindset. It's like the downhill is kind of more intense because it's just one run and you can't make any mistakes and it's a bit of a shorter track. So that's kind of like a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, with the enduro, I used to start just being so stressed about each stage and being like almost shaking at the top and then just, yeah, just take a few deep breaths and um, relax and have a laugh. Like that's the best thing is just having a, having a mate to ride with like in the liaisons is awesome and just chatting and having fun and, um, I think that helps heaps. Yeah, definitely. And you went from there to Crankworks Rotorua. And is, was that your first ride on a pivot? Yeah, that was a, actually kind of a funny one as well. Because um, I just kind of signed a deal with Pivot. But they, they couldn't get the bike yet or something. So I just like sent a message to Eddie. And I didn't know Eddie that well at the time. And um, was they kind of helped me. Like Eddie's like a really good talent scout. Like he... Um, he prides himself on being able to pick riders and like he'd picked Cole Lucas the year before and like, um, kind of helped him out during the season. Yeah. And then he obviously thought that I was, had some potential when he, in 2019. So he's like, oh, come and ride for us in 2020. 
Um, but my bike hadn't arrived, so I like got to Rotorua the night before the race. I'd like m- miss practice because I had to work that Friday, and the practice was on a Friday. And I was like, when I was working, I'd always get so pissed off because I'm like, why are they making the practice on like on the weekdays? Like, don't they know <laughs> that like us normal people have to work? And um, so I'd miss the practice, and I showed up, and it was like eleven at night. And I, had to get this bike and um and Eddie and stuff weren't replying they were all asleep um but I had their address so I had to go and like pretty much break into their house and I found like Mark Scott like wandering around in his undies and managed to like <laughs> he helped me find the bike and I got the bike and it was all good and then the next morning but it was like missing bits and pieces and I had so the next morning I got to the race early and just like spent like an hour or two just building up in the car park like fixing it and then had like a bounce around the car park and it felt like it was all good. So just went straight into the race. And my first ride on the pivot was literally like stage one of that race. <laughs> That's impressive, mate. And you took sixth place as well. You were kind of up there with all the, all the big names, I guess. Yeah. I was, I was surprised that eh? I was just having fun. Like same again, it was kind of, I wasn't expecting anything. I was, cause I just like hadn't done the practice. So I was kind of like, um, just yeah, having fun and loving it, just pedaling wherever I could and, um, trying to get down the stages as fast as I could and not really thinking about it too much and had a pretty good race. So I was happy. Yeah, definitely. And it obviously, I guess coming out of those two events, like must've been feeling pretty good about 2020, but as everyone knows, then COVID sort of arrived, like how did that impact you and how did you uh, set yourself up, I guess, for the rest of the year with training and that side of things, I guess, if you've got, got your day job to focus on, maybe that's, not as a significant change as it is for some of the pros that suddenly had no, no racing and, and kind of nothing to mm. do, I suppose. Yeah, I definitely feel for, for the pro boys because it would, yeah, it would have been a real spanner in the works for them. Um, cause they, I, I don't really, but before now I haven't really trained like properly and like structured. I just kind of do okay. what I can in between work and stuff. And, um, so I, never have that feeling of like building up to something. Whereas I guess those guys would have been building and building and building for the start of the season. And then suddenly like their whole world's turned upside down. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure it was pretty tough for them. Yeah. How do you fit your training in then? Like how do you approach trying to be kind of EWS fit and doing a day job? Cause I'm sure there are plenty of people that wonder how the hell that actually works. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, <laughs> my poor girlfriend has to put up with it. She she does the washing and the cooking pretty much, which is a huge help. But basically, I've got not much free time. Um, but I try and I'm super lucky with where I was working and living because the tracks were close. Mm-hmm. So what I do pretty much most days would be get up at like five thirty or six, go to the gym for like an hour, and then go to work like a little bit early, like kind of seven thirty eight work through till like 4.30 and then knock off and ride up the hill on the way home. So I'd ride my mountain bike. So I was just commuting to work on my enduro bike each day, stopping at the gym <laughs> on the way. Um, so you went through a few drive trains and then we'd go up the Port Hills and just do like one big lap on the way home um, down the downhill tracks. And yeah. then I'd do that during summer and then, sometimes in summer I'd do two laps because there'd be more daylight and then in winter I'd just um take a torch and just do it uh when it's dark but that's pretty 
that's not not the most fun yeah fair play that's a lot of commitment yeah i really enjoy it like just being on a bike is like yeah still still fun even if it's raining and dark (laughs) good effort good effort so yeah we did we did finally get to go racing uh, quite late in the 2020 season and we kicked that off with three rounds of the ews they went i think it's fair to say pretty well for you didn't they yeah yeah no it was really oh i was um stoked with how it turned out i like came into it not really knowing what to expect but i knew that i could like be capable of some quick stage times but i just still hadn't figured out how to put all the pieces together like um because I'd be, you know, fast on a long stage and then slow on a short stage and stuff like that. And then I guess, yeah, I must have just found, like, just that consistency in, in 2020. And the first one was a bit of a funny one because it was, like, obviously only two stages and super wet and snowing. But then the Pietro one was um, – that was heaps of fun. And I think – I can't remember. I think I was 18th or, or maybe 14th. 14th, 14th yeah 14th and that one so then i was like moving in the right direction and then coming to finale we were just we're having some we were in the same house for like two weeks in finale because those uh-huh. two races were back to back so we were really like relaxed and having fun and going to the beach and going riding in the mornings and we just had a really good crew like eddie and bernard and barney and morgan and we were all riding together and just having heaps of fun so that kind of i didn't really think about the race too much and then just went straight into it and I guess maybe that's the theme that's <laughs> that's developing is that if I don't think about it and have fun then it works out well so I, yeah ended up in um six on that one so that yeah. was pretty cool yeah it's awesome do you get to ride around with Eddie and Bernard on that like how does it work with EWS yeah so how did it work so the first race I think I was riding with Bernard because of our rankings or something. Yeah. And then the second race, I think the second race was my first race ever in the top 30. Um, so like, cause there's like all the, all the men and then there's like the pro, the pro women mm-hmm. and then the, the, the top 30 men go after them. Okay. So the women are kind of in between. And I, that was always the dream of mine. Like since I started racing is, Oh, it'd be so cool to be able to start in the top 30 and like, um, start at the end of the race instead of before the woman um, and that finally happened and I was just I just couldn't believe it I was like this is my dream come true this is amazing um, getting to ride with like all the guys that I look up to and yeah Eddie and Cole Lucas and the Kiwi crew and and then all just everyone else is super friendly and um, yeah everyone yeah everyone was really nice to me and welcomed me along I just fit right in so it was pretty cool and then I think that for that finale one, yeah, I was riding either right behind or right in front of Eddie, I think. Yeah. Does that, do you think that helps to kind of have someone that you know pretty well, like one of your teammates uh, out for the whole day with you? It definitely helps. Yeah. Like just your mindset, I think. Like, yeah, yeah you might not think it does, but I, I reckon, especially like, oh, uh, yeah, Eddie's, <laughs> he's pretty fun to be around. Like, who, He'll pretty much always put a smile on your face. Um, and if, if you're at the top of a run that's a bit intimidating or you're, you know, tired or struggling with the heat or something, that just having a bit of a laugh and a smile, like, oh, it's like someone's loaded you up with energy goose or something. It makes such a big difference. 
Nice, nice. Did you finish one of the stages a little bit too early as well in finale? <laughs> oh yeah, that uh, I'm trying to think about that too much. I um, <laughs> I was having an awesome stage. Like it was really kind of janky technical one, and I I always love that sort of stuff. So I was like stoked, having heaps of fun, and then. I just, I wasn't even, I don't know what I was thinking. I just was boosting down the last straight and then went around this right-hand corner and all like, everyone was like shouting and cheering on that straight. And then I went past like some sort of sign or something. Um, and I thought that was the finish board. So I was like, oh, sweet, I'm finished. So I just stopped and just like shouted back up the track because they were all my Kiwi mates who were like spectating. And I like shouted up to them like, yeah, boys and stuff. <laughs> and then I just got back on my bike and like um, kept rolling. and then. Like five or 10 seconds later, I just roll past the finish board and I'm just like, oh my goodness, I'm so <laughs> stupid because I was like in a really good place before that. Um, I can't remember, but like close to the top five. And then I did that and I just thought my race was over. I was like, I can't believe that I've, that I've stopped before the finish just because I saw the wrong sign. Like, but I'm never going to make that mistake again. So that's good. Yeah, definitely. Did it, was it hard to kind of regather your focus after that when you think you've thrown it away or did it maybe even help you relax more? No, nah, it definitely was hard. Like I was just kicking myself like mentally. Um, I was really, really pissed off at myself and like, but I kind of like didn't let it get to me. I just like was kind of pissed off for five minutes and then I was like, well, that's done. I'm just going to go as hard as I can on this last stage and just leave it all out on the track. And then um just did that yeah but eddie got me by one second so it was, was gonna um, say yeah would that have been <laughs> enough to to pip eddie to fifth i think it would have been at least it would have been at least a second maybe a couple of seconds <laughs> so um but that's all right because yeah i don't mind after all eddie's done for me i'll definitely give him a give him a place in front of me <laughs> fair play 2021 yeah. you can you can uh, get your own back yeah exactly yeah yeah and then off from there you must have been like must have been buzzing after that. It's a really, really good little EWS season. And then off to world champs with the pivot guys. And uh, I think you wanted to try and get a jersey, didn't you? A national jersey to race downhill, but that wasn't wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, that was the thing. There was a lot of emails and a lot of phone calls going back and forth. And I was I became quite good friends with the people at Cycling New Zealand, but that didn't <laughs> that still didn't help my case, even, that, even though I was mates with them. Um, they were like, oh, I'm sorry, but you have to do at least a downhill race before you, um, before you can race worlds. So I was like, oh, <laughs> so, I guess that's so had, you, had you done any downhill racing at all at this point? Like even back home? Um, I've done a few like local races on like, my trail bike just for like uh-huh. practice, but I've done one race on a downhill bike and I've just borrowed Eddie's bike for like a, like a club champs in Blenheim. Um, uh-huh. so that was, yeah, my only like real downhill race. So kind of one downhill race on a borrowed bike and you're already up for world champs. I like it. Well, yeah, there's nothing to lose, especially when I saw it was so muddy. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like anything could happen in the mud. So I may as well have a go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that wasn't to be. So uh, you decided to take a different route to world champs. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, they obviously said no. And then um, I was talking to Wynn, I think, or Wynn or Eddie, and they said mentioned the e-bike. And then Bernard's like, oh, I've got actually got an e-bike in the back of the truck. And I was like, oh. Um, so I just flicked another email back to Cycling New Zealand and said, what about the e-bike? Um, and they were like, yeah, like there's no entry requirement for e-bike. Sure, you can do that. 
Um, so I got to do got to do my world champs experience, and it was it was a lot of fun on the e-bike actually. It looked uh, it looked pretty hard work to be fair. That course was not was a long way from dry and a long way from grippy, right? Yeah, that was almost why it was so good. Like, um, it was so muddy, and I just put like mud tires on the e-bike, and then it's just so much fun because like the uphills and downhills are all fun, you know. Um, so it was like an enduro stage, but on the way up and the way down. And yeah, I was just in practice. <laughs> I didn't even like practice the track. I just went to this one like grassy section with these drifty corners. And I just hit the corners over and over again. And Bernard and Eddie just came and watched and just shouted at me for like an hour. And then the practice <laughs> session finished and I just went and washed my bike and went home. So it was, I was just having so much fun. That was like, I mean, that's the thing really, like that's the reason I ride bikes anyway, is just cause I love it. And I just love the racing as well. Like the competitive part of it is heaps of fun. So I don't really care if it's downhill enduro e-bike or XC or anything. I just, was so happy to be racing yeah and what's the strategy for a race like that i guess and you only get one battery so if you've got to try and kind of conserve it you can't just smack it into turbo mode the whole time uh it's only like an hour or an hour and 20 long so if you have a good bike and you seal up properly you can do the whole thing in turbo okay but i didn't manage that um <laughs> we i think we had the wrong battery or the wrong motor or we had something wrong with the e-bike and um I got to, I thought Bernard's like, yeah, I can definitely do it in turbo the whole time. Like, um, he like rides at home for like two hours on turbo or something, but it was like so muddy that it was using way more power. Okay. Cause there was so much resistance like for the bike. Um, it was like riding through porridge pretty much. And then, so I got to lap, I think we're doing five laps. I got to lap four and towards the end of lap four, it just fully died. Um, oh man. And I was like, Oh, I was so gutted and I was actually in a kind of decent uh, place. Like I wasn't doing amazing, but I can't remember exactly. Maybe like top 20 or something, but um, because my, I think like some of the bikes are faster than others. So like I'd be pedaling up these hills as hard as I could. And then someone would come past just like kind of smiling, like not even trying that hard. And I was like, I'm sure I should be as fast as this guy. Um, <laughs> but that was, that was right. And then so it ran out of battery and I, um, just made it up to the feed station and like if it was flat i could ride it but as soon as it was a little bit uphill with the mud it was pretty much unrideable even in the easiest gear it was pretty much unrideable so i kind of ran it up to bernard at the feed station and he's like what happened i'm like oh i'm out of battery he's like all right that's it we're done um and i was like oh no like i started this i may as well finish it so i just (laughs) went out for the last lap and i was so tired because i like hadn't been doing any cross country training and it's just a cross country race at the end of the day. So I was yeah, like not in, I was in, I was, I'm always fit, but I wasn't in cross country sort of fitness. Um, so then I just was like running and cramping and <laughs> trying to like pretty much crawl around this last lap. Um, trying to stay ahead of the, the trials, the trials, uh, sorry, the, the tailing Charlie, the motorbiker at the back. Uh-huh. Um, but I didn't get lapped out and I managed to finish. So, I think like the, I was like, um, the person who finished in front of me was like five or 10 minutes in front, but I was just so happy to finish. Good effort, mate. That's a hell of a commitment getting a, an e-bike with no battery around a track like that. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it and I wouldn't do it again. Um, (laughs) it's yeah, it was pretty, pretty hard. 
It's it probably the hardest race I've ever done, I think. I yeah. can pretty happily say that. But it was actually a bit of a blessing in disguise because um my well for for next year the team manager he actually saw me doing the e-bike race and he just thought it was so funny and like he obviously liked my determination and that kind of helped me um kind of get a get a conversation started with him so it was actually yeah that that e-bike race might look funny from the outside but it was actually pretty important in my season good stuff yeah it's nice when stuff like that falls into place eh definitely yeah it's pretty pretty funny way for it to come around Definitely, definitely. So you went you went from there to Maribor World Cup because why not, right? Let's enter a World Cup downhill having only raced once before. Um, so this time, was it on your own bike or were you still on a borrowed bike? No, I'd, I've never had a downhill bike until until like a couple of weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. So I was just borrowing one of Bernard's, but he had a couple on the truck. So I kind of just took one for a few weeks um, Yeah, and set it up how I want it, although I don't actually know how I want it. So I just usually just copy Eddie and he, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, Eddie's so good. Like he would just literally help me pretty much until, yeah, as much as he can really, um, you know, with it being reasonable, but he'll just do, do everything and like help me set up all the spaces and the compressions and rebounds and things like that and get it feeling pretty good. And I, and then it's really good for me. Cause like, I'm so confident that I couldn't set it up well. So I just know that if I've got Eddie set up, like there's no way I can make it better. That's as good as yeah. it could be. Um, yeah. So I don't even have to worry about it. I just go riding because I know the bike's as good as it could be, even though like Eddie's set up might not be as good as like Bruni's or something, but it's, you know, Eddie's set up 10 times better than, than my setup. So <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Yeah. One less thing to worry about. What? How did it feel then, lining up for your first World Cup downhill? Uh, oh, I just thought it would be fun and like um, had a pretty relaxed approach to it. And then I got to like the seeding or the practice time practice or whatever it was, and I was just so nervous. Like I don't know if I've ever been that nervous and felt that much pressure. Even though there was no expectations, I wasn't trying to. I wasn't like no one was counting on me or anything. I was just there because I wanted to be and. Um, I wasn't even expecting to, you know, to do well at all. Um, but I still was really nervous. I don't know why. I think it's just everyone else is so nervous and it's such an intense atmosphere at the top of those tracks. So I was, um, I was kind of taken aback a bit. But it turned out pretty good, right? 44th and 48th at your first ever World Cups. I mean, there's there's people that have been doing it for years that, struggle to qualify and you're putting down results like that on a borrowed bike kind of three or four downhill races into your career yeah no it did turn out pretty well i mean i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna um go easy like i went as hard as i could but um yeah i'd like to do more really it's a learning thing like i felt really out of my depth but had so much fun and after my first seating run it all kind of got better from there because i like was more confident was kind of feeling better on the track and um knew what to expect with the whole um like environment and the the vibe at the top so yeah it was i'll be back for sure awesome yeah it's good what do you think is it again is it like the skiing background that gives you the ability to ride like at that level so quickly yeah i I think it is quite a bit from that, like, um, 
Yeah, it's. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's a good question, but de- definitely the skiing and just I think the attitude too. Like I, well, you know, a lot of people have had like nice gear from when they were kids or, or something. You know, like I don't know, maybe like um, some of the pro pro dudes at the moment would have come up through the junior ranks and have always had you know pretty nice downhill bikes and stuff. Um, whereas I'm I came literally from a Scott genius. Um, and that was only three years ago. So it's like every bike I get on is just awesome. Like, especially now, like getting, you know, XTR. Well, actually, I only had XT this year, but, um, <laughs> but getting, even getting XT was like the, you know, the greatest thing ever. I was like, this is insane. These gears are so good. The brakes are so good. Um, so when you're only expecting um, the worst, then you're always yeah. kind of happy with what you've got. And I'm never, questioning the bike i'm always like this bike is so much better than you know what i've come from or whatever so then i just focus on the riding and i think so many riders now like i want to just kind of get into the scene but from what i've what i've seen recently is like so many riders get so caught up in the bike and all the setup and stuff but at the end of the day it's actually just the rider like you, you yeah i mean you say if you're at the top level like bruni or someone you have to have a really good setup but there's no reason why someone with like you could put Sam Hill on any bike, you know, you could put him on the Scott genius and he'd probably still be top five in the EWS. Mm. Um, so that's, yeah, I think that's kind of, it is the bike, it is the rider, not the bike at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Fair play. No, super impressive. So, I mean, after a season like that, does that kind of change your, goals and your expectations for 2021 and onwards like how did you if you started to think now like okay this could definitely be a career yeah yeah definitely it's a I mean, i'm just getting used to it at the moment it's been a it's been a big change since since the end of last year um i've been talking to a few different people and it was quite a lot of interest about me kind of writing for for a team for for the next couple of years so um I think people just kind of saw that I'm, you know, keen to give anything a go, and I've been improving at a pretty good rate. So if I can keep doing that, then it's um, <laughs> it's going to be good, really. So yeah, I yeah made a decision, and it'll be um, it'll be announced soon. But it's going to be a pretty fun couple of years, and I'm stoked to be able to do some yeah, focus on EWS, but also do some other types of racing and hopefully a few downhills and stuff like that to mix it up. Awesome. So does that mean you're effectively a professional mountain biker now? Are you able to leave the day job? Yeah. So, well, pretty much today or maybe yesterday was kind of the last bit of work that I, last bit of engineering work that I had to do. So I've, um, nice. I've ticked that off and feeling pretty good about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, Congratulations, man. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's a bit of a surprise. Like, didn't really expect anything. I like it. It'd always be nice since I started doing the enduro stuff. It would have always been nice, but I was kind of just, I just love it so much anyway. Like I just, I'd do it, you know, even if I have to pay to do it, I'd still do it. So yeah. Definitely. That's amazing. So have you got all your bikes and stuff? Like, is everything arrived? Uh, we're getting there. I've got a couple of them. Um, still waiting for a few more bits and pieces to arrive, but it's all, I've been on, been on yeah the downhill bike since pretty much the start of the year 
Uh-huh. And that, yeah, that's been awesome. And I've pretty much just been riding downhill, like, because I'm just loving it so much. I haven't too much time on a downhill bike before, so I'm learning heaps, and I think it will hopefully help my enduro. Um, so yeah, I've just been doing that really, and uh, what else? Trying to do a bit of fitness stuff and a bit of gym, but yeah, mostly just riding downhill. Nice. Yeah, I was going to say what happens now to training now that you've got much more hours in your day. Like, how are you structuring that side of things? Um, almost just the same as I did at work, but, um, a little bit more flexible. Like I was still trying to do something in the morning, like pretty early and then, um, a ride or something in the, in the evening or the afternoon. But it is good. Like just having time to actually rest. And if you're tired, you don't have to get up at six and go to work. You know, you can actually just sleep in a bit and, um, well, I'm actually, I'm still figuring it out, I guess, cause it's pretty much day one today but um (laughs) it is nice having more time that's for sure i think it will be helpful because i can actually like build up to the races and focus on like certain aspects of stuff whereas before i just ride and like if i was riding a few times a week then i'd kind of be generally pretty fit yeah and do you like employ someone or do you follow a program how does that work with uh with your training Nah, I just um, I just wing it really. Like, uh, it's been what's been working so far. I just if I'm feeling strong, I'll just go out and just absolutely smash it on the bike. Like, um, and then if I'm feeling tired, I'll just go out for a cruisy one or just have a day off or something. And then I just try and like ride with fast people, like try and ride with Blinky and Brooke and Eddie and Cole and a few like Matt Walker and the Kiwi lads and. I think that helps as well. Just like getting that downhill speed. It seems like fitness is something that like, I think you know, comes relatively naturally to you. You don't seem to have at, at no point have you mentioned that you felt you needed to get fitter to be more competitive. It seems like it's more an experience based learning rather than improving your fitness. Is that fair? Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good point. I think like I could probably be a little bit fitter in some aspects, but it's, I've got so much to learn with the skills. So I haven't really bothered about like a training program or a coach at this point, because like when I, when I feel like I have, have got everything else figured out, then I'll be looking for those extra gains. But right now, like I just need to master the basics and just like go up and practice some corners and practice, you know, different aspects of, of like the technical side of it, um, to improve. And I know exactly what I need to do. So I'm trying to work on that and yeah, then if I need help figuring out how to get better after that, then I can, you know, get someone. Yeah. And the better tech, better your technique, the less energy you're using, right? I think Sam Hill is probably a good example of that. Like his flow <laughs> through a trail is so good that he's using less energy, I guess, compared to a, a rider with less technique or worse technique. Yeah. Oh, Sam Hill is incredible to watch. He just stays perfectly still on the bike. So that's like the goal you can ride like him but um yeah i think yeah with with better technique will come come the fitness and the and the stamina and composure i guess it is isn't it yeah yeah so what what are your goals for 2021 then are you the sort of person that puts pretty concrete things down or is it just about progress how do you look at it um yeah i gotta be careful what i what i say to other people and what i have (laughs) in my head but i guess if you say a goal then it's then you kind of get a bit more committed to it, which is good, I guess. But 
Um, yeah, and I have I always like set pretty ambitious goals, and um, then if I fall short of it, then you know that's just how it is. But I'd rather do something that's going to be really hard to achieve and something that I can pretty confidently knock off. Um, but in this year, like I'd really like to, um, I'd like yeah, I'd like to be in the top five in the EWS would be awesome. Yeah, and it'd be nice if I get on a few podiums um, at, at the rounds and stuff. So that's kind of the goal for the EWS. And I just want to focus on doing the whole season of, of Enduro and really see kind of what I've got. Cause I'm feel like I'm just going to get into the stage where I'm at, you know, close to, close to a good level for, for myself before now. I've kind of been like definitely knowing that I could be better. Um, uh-huh. knowing that there's so much room for improvement. Whereas now I'm kind of like feeling pretty decent on the bike, but there's still lots of things I can tweak. Yeah. Nice one. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes for you, man. It's uh should be a, a big season. All things, all things falling into place. Yeah. No, it's, it's um, looking like a bit bigger than last season. So I think that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Exciting to watch and yeah. take part in all these races. Nice. And I, um, I spoke to Eddie to get a little bit of, uh, a little bit of insight. So, um, <laughs> he, he said that I should ask you who Chaz Maz is. Oh, did he? <laughs> Oh, now you're really putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> Chaz Maz, he's, well, yeah, he's the guy who left the fire extinguisher in the, in the fraternity house. <laughs> that's, that's the guy that um, comes out. He's a close relative of mine, and after a few beers, he um, he comes out for a play. But, uh, <laughs> Does he come out often? Uh, not that much, actually. I'm really like... At uni, we did heaps of partying, and um, I've kind of left that behind me a little bit. I'll still, if it's a special occasion, I'll still have a few drinks. But now, like, I don't really enjoy being hungover, and um, you don't just do it for the sake of it, like we used to at uni. So, and trying to train and race and stuff, it definitely doesn't help. So, yeah, I've been pretty reserved for the last couple of years, that's for sure. But if you get on the podium, then uh, we might see Chasmas. <laughs> if i get on the podium definitely yeah you can you can come and meet him (laughs) (laughs) excellent and uh eddie also said i should ask you if you've got any good bernard kerr stories oh uh (laughs) um yeah i'm trying to think that's i'm trying to think what he wants me to share with you and what he doesn't um (laughs) oh i've like i've never met anyone like bernard like he's Oh, he was so good to me this year. He's like, a lot of people like, so I was thinking that he's a bit like arrogant or something, but he's actually the most generous dude. And he just helped me out so much, like taking me around, paying for all my food and accommodation and stuff. And um, he's just a really good mate now. So yeah, because was- you weren't officially part of the Pivot squad, were you? They sort of took you under their wing, right? Yeah, not at all. I think Eddie just like asked Bernard if I could like come on the, to the Enduro races. And then... After that, we had such a good time. Um, they were all good for me to come along for the rest of the season. So I was like, yeah, why not? Um, although Bernard doesn't like to admit it, he reckons I invited myself. <laughs> but if he didn't want me there, I wouldn't have been there. You can guarantee it because uh, if he if he has something on his mind, he'll say it. There's no way he'll hold it in, which is what I love about him. Like He um, he taught me so much about like how to how to kind of stand up for yourself and like um, – value yourself as a writer because he's like really good at that and he won't yeah he won't 
really negotiate. He's just like very firm with what he says, which works for him because he's, you know, quite a big deal. But even uh-huh. for me, like coming up and learning how to actually know that I'm worth something to people. Yeah, yeah. It's been, it's been, been huge. I learned heaps from that. Nice. So has that been helpful in your kind of dealings with teams getting ready for this season, like to actually justify what your value is? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of, yeah, he's the one who put into perspective and was like, yeah, like, you know, you could ask for this. And uh, if you're on my team, I'd pay you this. And um, he's, he's like, yeah, don't let them walk over you. Just tell them how it is. And you're trying to do your job to help them. Like you're, you're helping them and they're helping you basically. It's a two way thing. Don't just yeah. think that you're really lucky and um, you're just getting all this help like by luck you've actually earned it and you are worth it because that's the whole reason why you know why they're employing you yeah. which is um, yeah I mean, I'm still figuring it out exactly but I've, I still feel so lucky to have the opportunity so it's kind of hard to look at it from two ways but it definitely helps to get a second opinion yeah everyone loves riding so much like most people I, I guess would say they do it for free that's the problem isn't it it's uh it seems strange to be expecting to get paid for something that you love so much, but it's, it's work, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I think that's the perfect point is, is so many people would, would just do it cause they love it. So it is, that's why people get confused with what they are worth, but then, yeah. yeah. But you've got to think of it from the other way. Like, you know, if you're risking, risking everything hurtling down like a downhill track and, um, you know, you're only getting paid as much as their secretary. That's just, you know, not not taking huge risk. Then, you know, that puts it into perspective a little bit. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we're getting uh, we're getting close to the end of our time, so we've got our final four questions. We'll hit those up. Um, the first of those: if our listeners had 150 pounds, which is about 290 New Zealand dollars, to improve their performance on a bike, what would you recommend they go and spend it on? Ooh. Uh, well, the problem is bike parts are so expensive in New Zealand, so it's, it'd be hard. But um, it doesn't have to be bike parts necessarily. Anything that you think would help them get quicker or, uh, yeah, better on a bike. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, if, well, if you want to be better at racing, then I think you need like a strong bike. So like you go for like some decent rims or some decent tires and maybe a cush core or something. Cause that, yeah, that's like the, that's the biggest thing that I found is I was just, you know, getting flat tires and buckling wheels and stuff. And then as soon as you get a proper wheel tire set up, it makes all the difference. And even for just riding, like if you get good compound tires, that's, that's huge. Are you running cush core front and rear or do you, does it vary depending on the track? Uh, it depends. I've, what have I been doing? Last year I was almost running uh, front and rear the whole time. Um, okay. But just recently I've been trying just in the rear and I think that's pretty good. Like I think I was maybe a little bit, a little bit keen with it in the front as well, but like uh-huh. someone like North star, you may as well yeah. in the front. Um, yeah. So I, I think this year I'll do like do a mix. If it's like a pretty normal track, I'll um, just have it in the rear. And if it's, super rough then maybe put both in yeah fair play all right second question if you could wind the clock back and sit down with yourself age 16 what advice would you give him um (laughs) well i probably wouldn't do structural engineering again Um, (laughs) why not 
Well, I had a lot of fun at uni and like, I've, en- I've enjoyed the job a little bit, but it's definitely not, it's not really me. It's not, uh-huh. it's not my um, personality and it's kind of not what I want to do like for the rest of my life. So I would probably, yeah, I would say just have fun with the sports and um, just study what you're interested in. Yeah. Did you feel like you had to go and do some kind of study to lead towards a job rather than following the sports side of things? Like, was there a pressure there and where did that come from? Um, not really at all. Like maybe from myself, but like my parents don't care at all. Like my brother, he just left school and then went skiing, um, straight away and kind of followed that skiing pathway. Cause that's what he loved to do. Yeah. Um, that's what he wanted. And then I just, a lot of my friends were going to uni and, I was just kind of just loved the idea of university and um, it's just, it's just what I did. I just, yeah. it's, well, when you're, when you're leaving school at kind of 17, you've got no idea what you actually want to do. Like yeah. I just signed a paper and the next thing I know I was showing up at uni and I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm doing this, but I wouldn't change that for anything. That was some of the best times I've had is university. Yeah. Fair play. All right, third question. If you could have a coaching session from anyone, past or present, who would it be and what would you want to learn from them? Ooh. Um, I don't know. Probably, I'd probably just keep it pretty simple and just go with Bernard. Because um, okay. he's, yeah, I don't know if many people know exactly like what his riding's like, but he's just got such good bike skills. Like, He'll jump on anything with wheels and just pick it up straight away. Um, I mean, like even like enduro, he'd never done any enduro before, and he was straight away pretty decent at enduro. And um, he's just so comfortable on a bike. It's like he's it's like he's walking along the footpath. It's that easy for him. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that's pretty cool. And not to mention his stoppies. I've been trying to learn the Bernicus stoppy, but it's not quite <laughs> as easy as it. Well, it doesn't look easy, but it's definitely not easy either <laughs> yeah stoppy is hard enough anyway but landing a jump into a stoppy i can't get my head around that i'd be over the bars every time <laughs> yeah i think it's just a lot of front brake but um but then you gotta you gotta actually jump off the jump like tipping forward so you're already kind of yeah. like off balance but yeah this, i'm working on it <laughs> we'll see how we go Excellent. i need it i need to get him um maybe this season i'll get, get him uh get a few pointers from him for the stoppies <laughs> nice all right final question what do you do every day that you feel benefits you um or oh, well there's two things probably um but i guess the main thing is like i just go try and you know go hard at, at everything like if i say if i'm going for a ride like i'll you know it would never just be a real chill one like i always or if I go for a run, I just can't help myself from just going as hard as I can at like at one point um, or in the gym. Like, I, yeah, we'll go until I can't go anymore. It's, I don't know what it is, <laughs> but I just always go 100%, um, you know, not the whole ride, but like at some points I, I will just, I think that benefits me because especially working, like you don't have that much time to, to train and stuff. So when you are riding, if you're making it count, that's what, yeah, that's what makes the difference. Yeah. All right, fair play. Well, it's been uh, it's been super interesting finding out a little bit more about you. I can't believe quite how far you've come in such a short space of time. So yeah, I'm really excited to see how a, a pro deal goes and yeah, how you get on over the next couple of years, man. I'll be watching for sure. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Russ. Yeah, That's I can't a pleasure, wait. Mate. 
can't wait for the next couple of years. It's pretty exciting uh, times ahead. Definitely. If people want to follow you and keep up with what you're up to, where's the best place for them to head? Um, just Instagram, like uh, at Murray Charles on Instagram um, or at Chaz Maz if you want to meet the other guy, but <laughs> he, might, he might not accept you. So um, you, you have to be a special friend if you want to get in there. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm on YouTube as well at Charles Murray, which isn't that active. But now that I'm not working, I think I'll uh, try and put up a few few things on there. Um, okay so yeah that could be could be the next thing nice one well we'll stick some uh, links to those in the show notes so people can find them and yeah wish you all the best for the next couple of years and see how things go for you awesome cheers all right that's it for this episode with charlie i really hope you've enjoyed listening a massive thanks to Canyon for supporting this episode of the show. They've got a whole new range of e-bikes in stock and waiting for you. So whether it's the new 180mm Torcon to go out and get wild with, or the Spectralons and massively increase the ground you can cover on your trail rides, Canyon have got you covered. So head over to canyon.com now and check them out. Also, a massive thanks to Miss Spence Summers. You can get hold of a copy of their amazing 2020 yearbook Meltdown by heading to misspentsummers.com forward slash Meltdown now. And if you use the code Meltdown Time at the checkout, then you'll get a free Misspent Summers wall calendar too until the end of March. So don't hang about. Head over to misspentsummers.com forward slash Meltdown now. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show, then you can grab yourself a t-shirt, sweatshirt or hoodie by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop with all the proceeds going to help improve the podcast. You know what to do. Please keep on spreading the word about the show. Tell your riding mates, share the episodes on your social media. It all makes a massive difference and it helps me keep this thing going. If you've got a couple of minutes, then a review on iTunes is really helpful too. Okay, there's going to be another awesome episode coming up soon. But until then, get out and ride. <laughs>